Hey folks, it's your girl Stephanie Victoria, host of A Dream Preferred Podcast, coming to you with episode six. That's right, episode six of A Dream Preferred Podcast on Spotify entitled The Dark Skin Aunt Viv Edition. In this particular edition, we're going to get into the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion, Biden's broke-ass transition to power, and Dave Chappelle's Netflix struggle. <laughs> so today's question is, what are you going to miss about quarantine turkey day? Um, I never really did Black Friday, I, but I'm here for the sales. Speaking of which, Hulu is having a Black Friday sale where subscriptions are dropped from $5.99 to $1.99. That is a whole deal because Disney Plus recently swindled me into ordering their bundle package, which has ESPN, Hulu, and Disney Plus for $12.99 a month. But the gag is, I only watch Hulu, which is $5.99 a month. So they kind of got me. Um, I might watch Disney Plus like once a month just to say I did it. But the programming is pretty limited unless you have littles or a fetish for children's programming to which you are a perv and should seek help. But I personally like the nostalgia um, of having Disney Plus. I think I watched DuckTales the other day while I was cooking my little turkey day dinner. Um, and I loved it. I love they did a reboot of DuckTales, which was one of my favorite shows as a kid. And then they did a reboot, which came out, I think, in 2019. And I watched both along with the gummy bears. So the new one and the old one. So let me know on uh, our Twitter page at Dream Preferred or on IG uh, at a Dream Preferred. And let me know what what are you going to miss for this particular quarantine turkey day? So I want to get into this week's What's Hot Industry. Megan Thee Stallion's new album, Good News, has arrived and is breaking records. She recently won several awards at the American Music Awards. Also, if you've seen any amount of social media, you will know that there is a Body Adi challenge for her uh, new single, Body Adi 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 Adi. Um, love Megan, love everything that Megan is doing. So I wish her a lot of success. However, recently found out that Megan Thee Stallion's best friend, Kelsey, Recently, uh, recently released a diss track against Megan. It is alleged that Kelsey was dating Tory Lanez, that Megan was dating Tory Lanez, but Tory Lanez tried to play both of them and was actually trying to get a Kylie Jenner. Messy, messy, messy. So I'm hoping that those two can reconnect. I haven't heard the diss track yet. I've been kind of saving it because I don't want no bad news. Like everything's been going well. And, um, you know, Megan is very close with Kelsey. They've been best friends since they were kids. So I'm hoping that whatever's going on on that side of the street, they can work it out because that's just ridiculous. Also, some more good news is that Gabby Sidibe, uh, star of the movie Precious and Empire, is getting married. And yet again, everybody mad. I don't know why. Not only is she marrying the white man, she is stone cold in love, but yet people are still hating, not because he's hashtag FFF, but because people are stupid. You have certain women out here saying, dang, if Gabby can get a man, why can't I? And you have some dudes who are in fact tripping off the fact that her fiance is in fact white. Y'all, let black women live their lives in peace she ain't bothering you and that's all that matters congratulations to you gabby also this week hbo max is streaming for the free tahanesi coates is uh new movie between the world and me based upon his critically acclaimed book definitely check that out if you have the opportunity i think it streams until the 28th of november last but not least what's hot in the streets coronavirus well come to find out that even though the people are now wearing masks, they were not wearing the correct masks. Um, 
there are numerous videos being circulated that show how you how you test if you are in fact wearing the appropriate mask basically if air can get through your mask or if you can blow out a candle you are not wearing the correct face covering and can be both transmitting and contracting the virus of course after the current surgeon general got on tv and showed people how to tie a bandana around their mouth shout out to pd pablo at a time when we did not have access to pp ppe and masks all available masks were going to healthcare professional professionals to say now that wearing a bandana around your mouth and all these other variations of mouth coverings is disingenuous because it has contributed to the spread people think they are doing the right thing by wearing a face covering are now being told to get appropriate masks to which i ask where i recently went over to i think it was amazon to get some more masks because i had a series of disposable masks and then i have a, a more permanent mask that i can use if i'm just running out real quick and they were hard to come by very hard to come by and then when you did find masks they were very expensive so i'm hoping that um, especially with the new transition to power we will have greater access to the necessary ppe equipment and that folks is what's hot in the streets so speaking of biden's transition to power president-elect joseph robinette biden had to request that his transition to office start immediately due to the severity of the coronavirus. Now, typically the president-elect moves into office officially on January 20th. And a part of that transition is hiring staff, setting up makeshift offices and getting necessary supplies. The expense of all of this is usually covered by a government agency called the GSA. I'm very familiar. I've worked with them before when I worked with real estate. They're like the Home Depot or staples of the government. They manage all the government's real estate, assets, and fiscal resources. The president-elect's transition uh, costs must be approved by them, but because Biden hadn't been declared the official winner, the GSA can't fund his move. So Joe Biden basically said, F it. I'll do this thing on my own. And he started the political version of a GoFundMe page. He started collecting donations and has thus far raised about $10 million. Now, if you're thinking like me, that is a lot of money to have raised in a very short amount of time, considering that the election was just a few weeks ago. But that's because he and his team have actually been raising money since June. According to a Vox.com article, it is not uncommon for a presidential candidate to raise money to transition. However, these fundraising campaigns are often on the QT and they get the bulk of their money from private and undisclosed donors. Now, be aware, these funds are separate from campaign funds, which can't be used for the transition expenses. Now, Biden and his team have already set up makeshift offices until a full transition in January. Biden has already started taking meetings with pharmaceutical companies to get updates on the progress of a coronavirus back vaccine. All of these things are important, but y'all, we have to change this system of the way that money is handled because my biggest concern right now is who is donating this money and at what cost like what is the interest rate and i don't mean 0.5 percent i mean what are they getting in return joe was well within his rights to raise money his back was against the wall he needed to move in and the previous tenants would not move out but this is what frustrates me with sometimes the dims always being broke because broke people will do anything for money. Here's the thing, we're at a critical point in our country and it's tempting to do things for money. Hell, Chris Rock is singing and shouting God MC promos for Busta Rhymes to pay for his expensive divorce. But in this case, we cannot afford for the incoming president to be bought and paid for at a time when fortunes have quadrupled due to the pandemic and breadlines are increasing. 
We have to hold our politicians accountable whether we like them or not. And we have to demand transparency in funding its sources, allocation, and repayment terms. Because you'll see the political equivalent of Joe Biden screaming on a billionaire's promo diss track, you can't disrespect the God MC. A good resource for understanding campaign funding is Donna Brazil's book, Hacks. She explains how after Hillary Clinton's failed campaign, uh, or excuse me, after, um, I believe, Barack Obama's campaign, the Dems were left just bankrupt. Like, usually after a campaign, uh, um, a political party could be bankrupt, but I mean, they were like, bankrupt. And when Hillary Clinton ran for president, I believe in 2016, um, she made a deal with the Dems that she would clear out their debt because she had raised just goo gobs of money. She would clear out their debt altogether, start them fresh at zero, but they had to funnel all donations moving forward strictly to her campaign. So that meant state, local, and federal. So if you gave 10 or $20 to your local um, um, senator, excuse me, uh, local House of Representatives, if they were a Democratic candidate, that money did not go directly to them. It went to Hillary Clinton, which explains why there was little money left for a lot of local elections. And Republicans knew this and they came in and they were able to scoop up on local elections. Well, when Hillary Clinton uh, didn't win the Democratic um, nomination or didn't win um, the presidency, she basically chunked the deuce and says, so long, suckers. And that was that. And the worst part is her longtime friend, confidant and political strategist, Donna Brazil, um, was placed in a position, was suddenly given a promotion, placed in a position over the Democratic Party and was left literally holding the bag where it looked like she had, in fact, absconded funds from the Democratic Party when that, in fact, did not happen. So it is a good book to read. Again, it's called Hacks, H-A-C-K-S, to kind of explain how we got here. And a lot of that can also explain how we even got Donald Trump because the Dems were not able to launch a strategic and definitive campaign against the Republicans. And when the Republicans lost uh, against Ob Barack Obama, they went back and retooled. And as we see, they started stacking the federal courts. They started getting people elected at the local levels. They uh, definitely went on a campaign campaign for voter suppression and we have Donald Trump so hopefully this will be a lesson learned hopefully whatever um, funds were raised were all above board I'm in no way saying that Joe Biden is out here taking funny money I'm just saying that we are at a point where we can no longer go on autopilot we really have to stay on top of our politicians so that's that on Biden's broke ass transition to power So this particular episode is entitled um, the on skin, the on skin, the dark skin on Viv edition. And the reason why I titled it that um, gave it that title is because I recently watched the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion and y'all, I got questions. So many questions. Um, for those who are unaware, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air uh, recently had a reunion episode on HBO Max. Um, they also own the rights to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air syndication. And it was it was really savvy on their part to bring the entire cast together 
and understandably for years people have always been like yo where's dark skin aunt viv like she was aunt viv who is this new lady and poor daphne maxwell reed she's such an amazing um actress and she's really important for the culture a lot of people don't realize she was one of the first black beauty pageant winners um wife of frank reed of frank's place she and her husband frank both veteran actors in hollywood as well as directors producers have their own or had their own full-fledged studio down in virginia everybody's like oh tyler perry got a studio daphne maxwell reed aka light-skinned Aunt viv and her husband frank uh aka uh ray from sister sister he played the dad they owned a full-on movie studio down in richmond virginia look it up and so she does not deserve the slander but of course people were going to be like where's original aunt viv and i always thought for years people were riding for original aunt viv as i call her i don't call her dark skin aunt viv i actually call her original aunt viv but a lot of people do call her dark skin aunt viv because it was evident that like wait a minute y'all replaced her with a light-skinned chick like what's this about this ain't cool and they just did it like wouldn't nobody notice like you just turn into the tv one day and there's a new person and it's like what what happened so that never sat right with me when they replaced her i think i stopped watching the show while it was uh still coming on before it was in syndication after they replaced uh og aunt viv because it never sat right with me and they never really said where janet huber went janet huber Witten, who played uh og aunt viv so with the fresh prince of bel-air reunion episode of course people were like where's Aunt Viv? we don't care about this other stuff all the little behind the scenes honestly for me the reunion show was kind of whack it was just kind of like get to aunt viv and of course they did so the rumors um have been flying for years that will smith and aunt viv um had it out what i the rumors i heard for years was that janet hubert Witten, who played original aunt viv was crazy they said she was pregnant she had a lot of hormones she was cussing people out on set she was just acting a plum fool and one day will was like nah you gotta go like this cannot continue to happen actually i think i heard that she like cussed will out or something and will was like nah you gotta go and they got rid of her and that was it and i probably just heard that story like three or four years ago which means that for the first 16 years we just we didn't know we we never saw her in other things like she just vanished and so with the advent of social media youtube there's more um uh democratization as far as people getting their stories out and coming to find out according to her she was blackballed she was banished um originally i think i heard that she was fired that will fired her and let me just say i love 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 the smith family i love the smith brand i love all of it flaws and all i love the entanglements i love that gammy had a drug problem i mean i don't love it but you know all of it i i take them for who they are I think that they have mastered the game of Hollywood and politics and um, like Will knows how to play this game. Jada knows how to play this game and they've played it so well. And the reason why I enjoy them is because as a black couple, as a black family, for them to have lasted that long um, with their reputations intact, considering I mean, we've been hearing for years that Will and Jada are swingers and for years they've been denying it. And for years we've heard everything from like a sex dungeon to like Will Smith and Dwayne Martin had, you know, relations and affairs, whatever. And there have been hints and things that have come out recently that allude that those things may be true. But Will and Jada, 
would come on the Oprah show and bring their kids out and just be perfection like now Oprah people say all these things and honey child they could not stop the August Alcina thing so after a while you know the facade began to crumble but they learned how to turn that thing around they got the little their platform with the red table talk now they got the little Latino version with the Estefans I love it and I am just in awe of how these people have turned s-h-i-t into sugar every single time but even aside from that i just genuinely love the swift smith family like fuck it like whatever issue you got with them i love will smith i like his drive and determination i like his movies i can appreciate jada and her consistently trying to find her own voice everything from having her own little rock band to um her little show on hawthorne like she be trying jada be trying so hard to just do her little thing and i'm here for it i love it i love the kids i love willow i love that gammy just be looking like don't come over here i might cut you like i'm here for all of it so when i was really curious because the smiths have been taking some hits this year and they've been slipping in and out like them them jokers can get out of they're better than carmen san diego and kim possible combined how they be getting in and out of these little twists and turns in the media i thought the august alcina thing was going to really take them out but they flipped that thing around got on red table talk did their little bad marriage for life and it is what it is and it was what it was because at that level they're not just a brand you gotta understand they got deals that are contingent upon their image both will and jada as individuals but also as a collective as a family and these major companies like i think montclair is one of their sponsors they don't need no drama they don't need to hear nothing about no nigga mess entanglements they are not for the fuck shit so i appreciate how the smiths have gotten in and out but what i noticed about with jada and her little entanglement situation she never really nailed or in my opinion, took responsibility for the hurt she caused August. I felt like his voice was missing in all of that. And of course she's not gonna do that because that would be an admission of guilt. That would be a tarnish against the brand. And instead they turned it into like therapeutic terms of like, I needed, you know, I was feeling bad about myself. I needed to feel good about myself. I needed to, you know, I just wanted to feel better and I was in so much pain but they never really acknowledged the fact that this boy was vulnerable and was taken advantage of by very powerful people like that has to be acknowledged and it wasn't really acknowledged but fuck it I'm here for the ride let the movie play out so when it came to Janet Hubert um Will Smith and Janet sat down and they televised that shit like that was some real shit she gave it to him she was like look motherfucker you ruined my life you ruined my children's life like she was just going in she was like she lost her house she was in an abusive marriage like it was a lot now some of that stuff I'm like I don't know if Will had if that was all Will's fault she said her dad died saying that she had ruined their name I still don't understand that like that to me was just I don't know that was excessive um i'm glad that she cleared up the rumor that she was not fired so according to her she was not fired but what they did was like push her out they gave her a raggedy contract that she of course could not sign the contract was for half of her episode so typically you get paid um let's say like a per episode cost like maybe you get ten thousand twenty thousand per episode and let's say a season is like 26 episodes so you're walking away you feeling like okay i'm gonna get my check that's about three hundred fifty thousand dollars per season and they might shoot one to two seasons per year especially if you're a headliner like she was and then they cut her contract down in half so instead of you getting your little 350 for the the um the season you're only getting maybe 150 and i know what you're thinking like oh that's great but first off you got taxes so that 150 quickly becomes like 
90,000, then you got to pay your publicist. That's 10%. You got to pay your agent. That's another 10%. That means that sis was really only going to walk away with about 60, maybe $70,000. And that is nothing. Like she said, she had a new baby. She had a mortgage. Her husband wasn't working. It was a lot. So she, you know, I appreciate the humility that Will displayed. And I think it was very genuine. I think he genuinely wanted to talk to her. I think he genuinely wanted to bury the hatchet because at this point, you know, for his brand to be, um, you know, the whole healing space that he and Jada have created for his brand to be, I'm bringing happiness in the world. Janet was out here on every social media outlet like, fuck you, Will. Janet was out here like Tisha Campbell's uh, character on Boomerang. Hey, girlfriend, you about my size, my height, doggy style. Like she was not going to let Will live. She was on his neck. And with the recent August Alcina um, the blows that he had been taking to his image, I think that Will was like, you know what, let me let me clear clean out my closet. Let me take the skeletons out because I don't want nobody else being able to pull my my coattail. So he um, sat with her, I think, very genuinely and very humbly. But I didn't realize the way that they cut that tape up when you watch the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion, they're not really saying anything. You just hear Janet talking. You never hear Will say, well, this is what I did because Janet starts off saying, you know, do you know what you did? And Will said, well, let me hear it from your perspective. And that was very smart. That was a that was a tactic. And so Janet was able to get all her stuff out. And she asked him a few times, like, did you have me fired? Were you the one who pulled the trigger? And then they just panned to him, like shaking his head and like not shaking his head like, yeah, I did it. But just like listening. And I'm like, oh, that's slick. Oh, that's so slick. They never have Will saying what he did and his particip participation in the Janet Hubert um, demise. Ultimately, you know, she didn't accept the contract. And according to her, she was forced to be in her dressing room. She was, um, it was communicated to the studio executives that she was hard to work with, that, you know, her and Will were not getting along. And they felt like, well, we can replace you. We can't replace Will. He's the star of the show, but we can replace you. And that's exactly what they did. It was so cold. And you could tell even by the way they did it, it was, it was kind of biting. Like we wanted you to know your place. And I'm so glad that she stood up for herself and said, not only did you allow this to happen to me as a black woman, but as a dark skinned black woman, like what are the chances of me being able, you know how Hollywood works. We don't get those type of roles. We don't get those type of opportunities. Even though she had had an amazing illustrious career, she was Juilliard trained. She had been in several Broadway shows, like her resume was long. And I'm sure another element that she didn't add, she was I think 34 at the time. She was like, you know, I was an older dark skinned black woman. And so all of those things had to be taken into account. And to me, it was very biting that they replaced her with a, uh, a light-skinned black woman. So she put it all out on the line. I think she was very candid and will. I loved watching the scene where they hugged. Like, oh my God, I was just in tears. I was like, oh my God. Because <gasps> he looked, he did. He looked like a kid. He looked like like he would later say like he she he really saw her as like a mom. And that's how that exchange looked. But I, I just wish that will had been a little bit more transparent about what exactly did he do or didn't do did he go to the studio executives and just drop a couple of dimes and let them you know carry out the dirty work and what was going on in that set to where homegirl couldn't work ever again like you mean to tell me because of it like never again and i don't say that to blame her but I, I get the impression that it wasn't just that i get the impression that will was like 
every step you take every move you make i'll be watching you you know what i mean the smith name is pretty is ironclad in hollywood so that to me you know for them to have and i remember they were going back and forth for like a good decade to me that was always the pebble in the shoe of the will smith brand was janet hubert Witten and the whatever went down between them because i still have not heard what this woman did that was so awful and so horrible to where she deserved that type of treatment she had said before that she was pregnant um, it later came out that she was also in an abusive relationship. And originally the stories that I was hearing was that she was around the set cussing people out and being quote unquote crazy. The, the term they always try and label women, especially black women. But um, I also understood that a lot of that had to do with her being pregnant. And I felt like, how are there not allowances? You know, we know that when people are pregnant, all kind of hormonal things are going on and even postpartum depression. But not only for her to be fired, for her to be fired is one thing, but for her to never get another job in Hollywood, come on now. And so I feel like there's so much more to that story and maybe to protect the interest of both parties, they can't reveal it. But what I got from that is that basically Will was an asshole. And that instead of just being like, yo, he kept saying things like I'm young, I was young, or I, you know, me now can understand all that you were going through at the time. I didn't understand what you were going through. But I just wanted him to be like, man, Janet, I was a fucking asshole. I was 21 years old. I thought I could do whatever I wanted. And you just caught the brunt of that. And I am sorry. Because I feel like people make mistakes and you have to own up to it. And he did apologize. And he said that, but he said it in a roundabout way. I wanted him to just hit it square on the head. Well, I was not satisfied after the reunion. I was like, I need more. I need closure. So then I, I found out that there was a red table talk um, between he and uh dr romani dr romani i love her youtube clip she talks a lot about narcissism but she's a licensed uh psychologist and um that whole thing to me was game that red table talk was game because they showed a few more of the clips between he and janet hubert Whit Whitten, which i think were necessary because in some of those clips she was like cousin him out like nigga fuck you like she was really letting him have it and but i still think she she kept her composure considering and somewhere I, I know they had to give that woman a check like there there had to have been a check she was smiling a little too hard to be up on that set um but what i didn't like was that as dr romani is talking to him and going through you know his childhood and that's all fine and good but it was still about him he never said specifically this is what i did i specifically went to the studio heads or i didn't stop them when they did this and then at what point did he just now 20 years later figure out that he was an asshole did he figure out he was an asshole six years ago and at what point when he found out he was being an asshole to her did he make amends because i'm hearing a lot of apologies but i'm not hearing any amends i'm not hearing hey i'm gonna put you in the next westbrook uh uh yeah westbrook film or hey i'm gonna sign you to you know a uh, um half a million dollar deal to do this this is that like i wasn't hearing any amends and i'm sure on the back end there will be something but i felt like the way he did her career it's one thing to apologize it's another thing to completely make amends so i thought will was gaming the system there was a point where he was talking to dr Armani, and i think he had a really great breakthrough when he talked about um you know his family and how his dad was abusive and how the creation of will smith came out of you know wanting to protect his mom but the thing that for me 
I felt like that was kind of a pass and Dr. Romani was kind of caping for him is that he knew the therapy lingo. There was a point where I watched his body language where he kind of, when Dr. Romani was like, well, that's very good that you recognize that. Like his face lit up like, yeah, yeah, she's buying it. And you know, he keeps throwing out more therapy lingo and he's feeling like Will's a good boy. It's almost like he refuses to accept that there's a side of you that is a fucking asshole, money hungry, power hungry person. And you threw this woman under the bus because your ego was bruised. That's what I wanted to hear him say. Of course, he's not going to say that because he's Will Smith and he built his brand on a particular thing. But at a certain point, you can't fool yourself. And I do applaud him for opening up and giving us that much like that whole situation he gave us a lot, but he's also going to get a lot. You know what I mean? Like that was game times 20. Like I said, the, they're very good at that because not only is everybody going to tune in and watch it because the reunion itself was pretty blah. It was like leftover oatmeal. It wasn't talking about nothing. And the red table talk wasn't really talking about nothing. All I wanted to hear was what went down between him and Jenna Hubert. That's all anybody wanted to hear. So most people did. It was a two for one. If you saw the reunion, you would hop over to the Red Table Talk. Or if you talk, saw the Red Table Talk, you would hop over to the reunion. It was win-win for both folks. As Kanye was saying, a white man gets paid off for all of that. But in the midst of all of that, where is Janet Hubert's? Where, how is she being made whole? What is her remedy? You've admitted that there was injury. You've admitted that things went down that should not have went down. How do we remedy and make her whole? That's all I care about in this situation. So Dave Chappelle was recently um, in the news because he is doing or he's calling on people to boycott the Chappelle show on Netflix. And when I tell you that 2020 is just good Lord, 2020 is doing the most in a good way and in a bad way. But let me let me explain to you. So the Dave Chappelle show. So Dave Chappelle is asking people to not watch the Dave Chappelle show on Netflix because when he did the Dave Chappelle show, the deal that he made, I believe, with Viacom, I believe that's the company who owns it. Well, Comedy Central owns it. And um, they then licensed it out or sold it over to Netflix. The way that the deal was structured because Dave didn't renew, as we know the whole story, Dave didn't renew for that last season. They promised him goo gobs of money and he left and was like, F you, I'm gonna get my own stuff. And went to Africa, got his mind together and basically just left the comedy game altogether. Um, they own the rights to everything, his likeness, his name, all of these things. And when Netflix picked it up, um, Dave Chappelle is not earning royalties uh, on whenever you watch the Chappelle show. So I don't know if he's getting royalties like when they play it in syndication on Comedy Central or if you buy the Chappelle show box set on DVD if people are still buying DVDs or if you stream it on any other networks because I think I've seen it on some other networks. But specifically on Netflix, the way that that deal was structured, Dave Chappelle gets absolutely nothing. And as we know, Dave has recently released at least two or three different comedy specials with them to the tune of like hundreds of millions of dollars. I can't even remember how much they gave him to do those specials, but it was a ridiculous amount of money. And so Dave pretty much asked people to not watch it. And off of GP, Netflix took the show down um, I'm pretty sure because they were looking at the larger picture that they uh, now own part of Dave Chappelle's catalog. Because at this point, Netflix is spending these goo gobs of money to create original programming and to pay people 
um, like Dave Chappelle to do uh, comedy shows exclusive for them because the money is in the comeback. The money is in the licensing. The money is in the copyright and Netflix owns all of that. So if they gave Dave Chappelle 20, 30, 40 million to do the copyright, to do the one of his comedy specials, they are expecting in perpetuity to make 200 million on that particular property. So Dave Chappelle's... <laughs> I, I'm so nervous to say this, but it's never been a secret. I don't like Dave Chappelle anything. I don't have anything against Dave Chappelle the person. I don't know him other than the fact that he's from D.C., but I have never liked him as a comedian. Never. Not one day at all. Now, before y'all get mad and be like, nah, Steph, what you talking? Let me break it down. Dave Chappelle and I are only like maybe... I don't know seven eight years apart we're not that far apart in age so I grew up watching his career he started very young I even remember when he used to do a, um like local stuff or when he would hit up clubs in DC and um Dave Chappelle's 47 okay just looked it up he's 47 and I'm 41 so yeah we're not that far apart in age but my early um experiences with Dave Chappelle he was always the black friend like he did the movie half-baked he used to do those weird off-brand white boy stoner movies and he was just like the black friend it was very clear Dave wasn't really fucking with black people like that <laughs> back in the day like he the Dave Chappelle you know now was not the Dave that I remember seeing coming up so he just to me was never really talented you know how he always talks about how his nickname was pilot boy because his pilots got canceled none of that ever surprised me because in my estimation Dave was not funny he was not entertaining he just it's like how is this man still in Hollywood how is he successful and if you don't believe me just go back and watch a lot of his old movies a lot of his early 90s movies um Dave himself was not he just wasn't a funny um, a funny guy he would have like fart jokes like he would talk about or wee jokes he had a lot of stoner jokes and so he just was kind of like this quirky black guy and he was also kind of funny looking too so they would put him in some funny looking roles and then out of nowhere he started doing a comedy special here or there and people were like oh my god Dave Chappelle but again this is from my vantage point it was white folks that were fucking with Dave they were just like oh my god Dave Chappelle is so funny and I remember thinking that's because he's the black friend like he creates comedy for white folks well then the Dave Chappelle show came and that's when I started black people really fucking with Dave because they changed his whole image they gave him this whole neo soul you know he had the best that's one thing I did like about the Chappelle show they always had the best music they would have like the roots they would have Erica Badu Jill Scott Common just all the the greatest bands he would come out there with his little neo soul bebop hat his little vest his little jeans do his little bit and then he would have these little sketches now that brings me to the next thing I effing hate the Chappelle show I've always hated the Chappelle show and before you guys get mad at me I have always hated the Chappelle show for the very reason why Dave Chappelle left I always felt that the Dave Chappelle show was making fun of black people or was written from a perspective of it was written for white people by that one black friend and Dave was that one black friend I always felt like Chappelle show was written for um, white people to laugh at black people never with black people in fact when I think about Dave Chappelle's career the only thing I ever really liked that Dave did was the Dave Chappelle movie love that movie was bomb that movie was epic it was historic I mean he was able to get the Fugees to come back together so it was the Fugees for me like it was the Erica Badu Jill Scott shade for me that made that movie love it 
I was walking out of that movie theater singing Dave's praises. I was like, oh my God, the boy is a genius. This is amazing. But when I really think about it, Dave was not telling jokes. He wasn't really talking in that movie. It really and truly was about the music. So I do think that Dave is a creative and an artist at heart. Um, regarding the Chappelle shows, the few episodes that I have seen, because I have tried, y'all, I have tried to watch them. They just never held my attention. But the episodes that I love are the Charlie Murphy episodes. You gotta shake your shoulders when you say Charlie Murphy. I love all the episodes of Charlie Murphy. I love the episodes where he talk about where he talks about Prince. Um Eddie Murphy some of those later episodes but those early episodes to me were just bullshit just they never made sense so having said all that when I found out that Dave Chappelle wanted people to boycott or not boycott Netflix but to boycott the show it didn't really cost me anything although when I did see the Chappelle show rebooted on Netflix I was very tempted to watch it like let's go back and watch it with fresh eyes maybe we'll have a different perspective because over the years understandably people have really been like Steph how you're not gonna like Dave Chappelle he is a genius well as we know Dave Chappelle returned to comedy I want to say about seven or eight years ago after his long hiatus and quite frankly, I think that those white folks had ran Dave out of town. Like, I think they basically were like, we got the game sewed up. You will never work again. And I think once Dave got his confidence back and got himself back together, he realized there really was a market out here for him to um, uh, be viable where he didn't have to go through those old networks. He could just kind of build his own thing. And of course, the first time he came back, he sold out, um, I believe it was like Carnegie Hall. And then he just kind of kept going from there. Well, now Dave is doing not so much comedy specials, but it seems like he's just doing his own little series of TED Talks where he's just telling the world how fucked up they are. And of course, people are listening to him. He has a platform because of all those years in comedy. Well, here's my current beef with the Dave Chappelle. Because I want to like Dave. I want to love Dave. I want to be a part. I want that part of the black experience that everybody keeps talking about that seems to have completely eluded me. I recently listened to, or not recently, maybe about a year ago, Dave Chappelle had a comedy special on, um, I believe it was Netflix, um, but it was either 2018 or I want to say 2019. Um, and this special, it was very controversial. I think it was called Sticks and Stones. It came out in 2019. I just looked it up. It was very controversial um, because he said a lot of statements. He made a lot of uh, jokes about trans folks he made a lot of jokes about gay folks actually one of his jokes was how you can't make jokes about about gay folks but the one that got me that really just really burned my biscuits was uh what he considered to be a joke about abortion and abortion rights and women's rights and that for me uh given his platform given how large he is for him to make the statements that he did at a time where brett kavanaugh was up for um we had a conservative justice coming up on the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, someone who had been accused of rape, someone who was uh, ardently against abortion and had made it very known that he was going to work against it. Well, we're in a situation where places like Mississippi only have one, maybe two abortion clinics in the entire state. When you had Mike Pence's former state uh, in Indiana that was shutting down Planned Parenthood and as a result had an outbreak of STDs at a time where there is an attack not only on women's uh, uh, health especially black women's infant mortality rates when we black women's mortality rates um, with regards to during the time of pregnancy and black infants mortality rates to sit up here and have conversations about not only women's rights but abortions right Planned Parenthood I felt was wildly sexist it was patriarchal it was misogynistic 
all the words but above all things it was it was punching down it was not lifting up now i know the old adage is that comedians kind of have a carte blanche and they can say what they need to say because it's all jokes but it seems to me that his jokes were only picking on people who were low power groups at the end of Dave Chappelle's comedy show, Sticks and Stones, he did kind of a Q&A with the audience. And one of the first questions that someone asked him was about 45. They asked him, you know, what are your thoughts about 45? Are you for him or against him? And he refused to answer. He absolutely refused to answer. And that made sense. That's very smart. 45 was a sitting president. You know, I'm sure he has a lot of ticket holders who are... Um, Trump supporters like I said he was always the black best friend so he knows where his bread is buttered and I'm pretty sure after his previous incidences he didn't want to say anything controversial but the problem is if there was ever a time and if there was any if there was ever a way to use your platform that would have been it now I'm not saying to go around necessarily attacking uh, folks in power but you said it with your chest when you were talking about women when you were talking about minorities when you were talking about LGBTQ folks you said it with your chest and that's the part that for me is some punk nigga shit. I have no patience for that whatsoever. Um, I saw a clip of Dave Chappelle, I want to say in 2018, where Ben Jealous, his god brother, a local politician in Maryland, was running for the governor of Maryland. And yet again, um, you know, the Dems were broke. Did nobody know Ben Jealous was running? He was a Democratic candidate. Did nobody know he was running for governor? Maryland, which had been traditionally a blue state had been turned red with the current governor, uh, Hogan, who won not just one term, but two terms. And I saw a clip of Dave Chappelle speaking on behalf of his uh, godbrother saying he's a good dude. This dude was high and drunk, just blowed out of his mind, could barely stand up. And this is not a moral issue. I'm not against uh, Dave being drunk or high. He's within his rights to do whatever he wants. He's a whole grown ass man. He's not nobody Pope. He's not Reverend, you know, Reverend Chappelle. He is Dave Chappelle, the comedian. But I was like, dude, do you understand how important this is? Like your god brother was running for a democratic office, governor of the state. And he's asking his very powerful, important friend to come and pitch for him. And you show up high and drunk. To me, that's a certain amount of disregard. But getting back to the statements that Chappelle said, I felt that he was punching down and I felt that he was not um he was using his platform rather flippantly and it's cute to make fun of people who can't bite back or people who if they do bite back bite back you know that your supporters um are going to shout them down well that caused me to do a little bit more digging and a lot of the jokes that we often attribute to dave chappelle including the chappelle show can actually be attributed to a white guy by the name of neil brennan now neil brennan considers himself an honorary black dude because he says he has slept with a lot of black people black women as well as he has hung out he's written for every major black television show he was really the brain trust behind the chappelle show because i noticed that the voice of the chappelle show was very different than previous Dave Chappelle, uh, um, I was gonna say products, but projects. Neil Brennan um, is a comedy writer who really just couldn't pop on his own. He's kind of a funny looking skinny, uh, Adam's apple popping white dude um, with glasses. I wear glasses, so no disrespect to those who wear glasses. And he is from, um, uh, I thought he was from the south side of Chicago, but I believe he's from somewhere outside of Philly, something like that. But he said he grew up in an all black neighborhood and that he was very acquainted with, quote unquote, how black people are. And he has been Dave Chappelle's joke writer really for the past 
15, 20 years now. He was one of the creative forces behind the Chappelle, the main creative force behind the Chappelle show. In fact, from what I understand, the negotiations, a part of the reason why the negotiations soured with Comedy Central is because Dave did not want to cross his friend Neil but ultimately they were basically telling Dave like we'll replace you because Neil writes the jokes anyway so when Dave left he was basically like try and do the show without me it was bigger than just I'm gone it was also like we'll try and do the show without me because they felt like they had the ace in the hole which was Neil Brennan who was for lack of a better term the puppet master so all of the jokes the quote-unquote the culture that everybody's always talking about it was a white dude it was a white dude who was writing that so I noticed that on his sticks and stones um comedy special Neil Brennan was also one of the head writers and as I began to do some more research on Neil Brennan Neil Brennan is known for his own sexist and misogynistic behavior I saw a clip of him talking to Angela Yee and Charlemagne the God on um the breakfast club and he said something along the lines of like um he asked Angela Yee how did she pick her profession because he as a man picked it to find so that he could be rich and get a lot of P-U-S-S-Y. He was like, yeah, I just really wanted a lot of pussy. And that's how I do it. He was like, how, you know, how do women, how do bitches determine what they're going to do? Like, is it because you want bags and shit? You just want some purses, some Birkin bags. Angela Yee looked at him like, my nigga, <laughs> I kill niggas for less. Like, I was offended by that statement. It was so dismissive. And not only did he feel like he was speaking, quote unquote, the language, he was talking to her in a manner that was irreverent. Now, granted, you can say a lot of things about Angela Yee, but she's a fantastic journalist and that cannot be taken away from her. And the fact that just because he's an effing degenerate who does things for uh, lowball reasons doesn't mean that everybody else does. And simply because she's a woman does not mean that she has to be motivated simply by sexual desires. So that began to help me really peel back the layers of what was my what was my issue with Dave Chappelle? Like, why was I beefing with Dave Chappelle? And what is it that Dave Chappelle what is it that everybody else could see that I could not see? So Neil Brennan is a funny dude. Like I've watched some of his specials, but Neil Brennan is also someone who has a lot of issues. He's definitely laughing at black people, not with black people. And he definitely, probably due to rejection, does not like women. <laughs> like that is evident. Like he has a chip on his shoulder with women. And I think a lot of that is coming through in Dave Chappelle's comedy. But Dave is also responsible to vet his comedy and what uh, he chooses to come out of his mouth. And the things I feel that came out of his mouth were very responsible. Now, in his most recent Netflix special, which really isn't a comedy special, it's just a TED talk. Like, let's be honest. Dave is just on a stage talking and people are um, listening. I think it's called Unforgiveness or un Unforgivable, something like that. But he is now speaking out against the Trump campaign. He's now saying things that I wish that he would have said several years ago. But again, so many of his supporters are Trump supporters. Like, let's be very clear about this. This man lives out in Springs, uh, in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Um, he claims it's a very liberal space, but Ohio has a lot of, uh, it's a lot of red. He claims that his little town is like the one dot of blue, but it's a lot of red. And I think that he, um, it's now politically expedient. It's now okay to come out against Trump. But two years ago, it was not. So for those reasons and those reasons alone, I'll fuck with Dave Chappelle. So dreamers, thank you so much for listening to episode six of a dream preferred podcast on Spotify. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at a dream preferred. Until next time.